Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we welcome back Director of ETFs, Andre Bruno. Andre gives us an overview of the capital market playbook for the rest of 2023. Some key highlights he points out is if the Fed continues to raise rates while the Bank of Canada is still on hold and we continue to see a widening in interest rate differentials, the U.S. is our number one trading partner, so we may import some inflation from that FX mechanism. Andre's financial background is in capital markets and the FX desk. He says he's focused on the cracks in the credit market. He notes we will see those before equity markets move. So far, we haven't seen any this year. Andre says the majority of maturities are in 2025 and distressed debt levels and default rates are within historical averages. Andre states fixed income flows are still the main story for ETFs. He adds duration is a strong recommendation for a soft or hard landing scenario with decent yield and lower reinvestment risk. Andre remains cautious. He suggests analyzing a whole portfolio for tilts to a particular risk, asset class or investment style Quality is recommended for a recessionary environment, and earnings will have to grow into valuations for tech to continue to rally. This podcast was recorded on September 11th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Let's begin a little bit with the topsy-turviness of last week, of this week. We've got a lot of moving parts. Center the data for us here. It's always important. Data dependency is actually almost annoying how many times we've said it. It feels like it's actually really important, though, now. I think it's exceptionally important this year. Obviously, last week we got the Canadian GDP print that came in negative for for Q2. I think the Bank of Canada was not expecting a negative print, so a little bit of a surprise there kind of changes the calculus a little bit with regards to what the Bank of Canada can do on a go-forward basis. I know markets were thinking maybe we'll get some more hikes. I think now markets have reevaluated and they're saying, you know, maybe this is the end of the rate hike cycle. Obviously, we got that pause early on in the year from the Bank of Canada, then they restarted it up again. It's looking like uh, potentially this this might be it for them. Just a couple things to consider. So number one, obviously, we've got this potentially deteriorating economic backdrop. Again, this could just be a one quarter blip in the data and we could kind of resume into the positive territory next month, or sorry, next quarter rather. But I think what you have to consider is, you know, inflation is getting towards that 2% target. We have this potential, you know, headwinds to, to the macroeconomic backdrop here. I think it gives the BOC a little bit of breathing room to say, okay, we did a few more hikes kind of earlier on. It does take time for those hikes to kind of filter into the market. So I think they're, they're in a good spot here. They can kind of just wait and see to see how things further develop in the Canadian economy before kind of continuing that, you know, march higher if need be. So a couple of things there. One, the natural question when they stop hiking, I think for a lot of people is, oh, does that mean they see cracks in the housing market? And the other is sort of the differential story, which maybe we can get to in a second. But why would they stop? So the GDP print is one. 
what else? Yeah, I think again, the sensitivity to the to the Canadian economy interest rates is is much higher, let's say, relative to our US counterparts, whether you're looking at you know, the mortgage market in Canada or just the consumer in general. Uh, so I think they have to be cognizant of that and I think they very much are cognizant of that. Um, so again, I, I think what they're trying to do and, and similar to, the, to what the Fed is trying to do is kind of orchestrate that soft landing scenario, worst case scenario or best case scenario, just avoid the recession altogether. So like right now, employment is still rather robust whether you're looking at Canada or the US. So again, as long as people are employed, they can continue to service their debts, whether that's mortgage debt or just regular consumer debt. Um, so again, I think they're trying to thread the needle here. So far, everything's going okay, but obviously, again, that's that's why the economic data on a go forward is gonna be so important to see if we are seeing any cracks in the housing market or or in the consumer market. So we've got we've got the inflation print for the US and a couple of a couple of different versions of it later on this week. The differential story is interesting because it's obviously not just Canada's situation with rates versus the US, but it's also ECB, it's, it's other economies that are struggling with inflation. They have been raising rates and they're kind of at that where do we sit place. Take us through why Canada's differential might be, I don't know if it's problematic or not. We watch it pretty carefully. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, typically a, a weakening Canadian dollar typically leads to a little bit of, you know, inflation. Obviously, we do import tons of goods from overseas, whether that's U.S. or elsewhere. The U.S., again, is our number one trading partner. So typically when you see kind of the, the, the CAD weakening versus the U.S., that's not great for prices. Something that factors into that is interest rate differential. You know, one of the questions is, is, you know, if the Fed continues to raise rates while the BOC is still on hold, we continue to see a widening in those interest rate differentials. Are we going to import a little bit more inflation from that FX mechanism? So that could put Tiff Macklem and the BOC in a tougher spot if, again, we do get that slowdown and we do see that uptick in inflation as a result of of, of FX. There's obviously some other you know, factors in play in here. We've seen gasoline prices tick up this year, which is obviously not helping the overall inflation story. We haven't seen a mass up to, uptick in inflation, but that's certainly something to keep an eye on on a go-forward basis. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you about that, certainly. Let's ask you about Director of ETFs. Tell us about flows. What have you seen? Earlier in the year, you told us certainly the flows into the fixed income market was, was sort of the story of the year. Well, update us. So I, I wish there was something interesting to update you on, but it, you know we've continued to see that that trend going into uh, going into Q3. <laughs> um, we're still seeing fixed income flows outpace equity flows. You know when you get down to the nitty gritty of fixed income, we're still seeing tons of flows go into those cash products. Obviously, the cash rates have increased this year with rates with the BOC as well, so still looking quite attractive. Um, I think there's still quite a bit of trepidation out there in the market with investors. Just again, it's, it's kind of. It almost feels like things are, you know, folks are a little bit paralyzed right now. You know, we've, yeah, we're, we're, we're thinking recession's coming. We're talking about soft landing, hard landing. Uh, I think people are just a little bit hesitant to allocate a lot to risk right now. So they're playing it safe, buying these cash products, clipping their, you know, 5% yield. Yeah, uh, and I mean, that's a new story. So, I mean, even, even if you really don't have a, some version of conviction, that's a new offering on the table out there. Yeah, and I think people are saying, you know, again, you, you have some folks saying hard landings coming. Probably folks are sitting in more of the kind of the bearish camp. Um, some people saying we're going to get the soft landing. Some people saying we might not get this recession at all. Um, so I, I think there's there's not a lot of consensus on what exactly we're going to get. Whether you're talking about Canada, the U.S. So I think investors are saying, you know what, I'm just going to clip my five percent yield, sit and wait, analyze the data as it comes through. So with, let's 
with that said, let's go to the equity market. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about what we've seen this year. There's been it's been red hot for a very certain select group of stocks. Tech, where, where do you see tech going right now for the big ones and also you know, kind of the, the rest of the story? Yeah, so for the first half of the year, it was pretty much a tech-driven rally. So you know, information uh, technology, um, uh, communication services were the top two gigs performing sectors in the S&P 500. So kind of, you know, July and August, we've seen that broaden out a little bit. Nothing too crazy, you know, individual sector rallying too aggressively, but we have seen the gains broaden out a little bit. So that's generally positive. And, you know, as we remember, rewind to last year, tech had a very tough year. Tough. Very yeah. tough year. So this year, it's, it's obviously done relatively well when you take a look at a valuation perspective. You know, valuations aren't anywhere too aggressive, certainly nowhere close to dot-com levels. You know, maybe a little bit rich relative to, say, historic norms, but nothing too, too crazy. Same goes for the broader market when you take a look at the S&P. You know, valuations are a little bit above historic norms, but I think kind of the, the take-home message here is I think earnings will have to grow into those valuations to some degree. And the thing that you know, concerns me a little bit is when you take a look at you know, earnings this year, we've got a ton of revisions lower, continuing to get revised lower. So again, you know, if those earnings don't grow, that typically doesn't portend to kind of positive equity market returns. Yeah, it's, it's been sort of a fascinating story. I mean, does tech at some point, it, it sort of becomes a question of whether it's still the growth area of the market that we thought it was. I mean, I think we've used this example before, but you kind of need to buy a new cell phone in the way that you used to have to buy a dishwasher. Like it's, it, there seems to be almost a quality blue chip element to some of those stocks. Uh, certainly, and, and obviously there are those emerging tech names that yeah. are still very much growth-like, but when you think about kind of the Amazons and the Apples, which are you know, kind of ubiquitous in our lives now, there certainly is a question to be made, is, are these growth companies, are they more blue chip stable companies? Um, you know, I, I believe Apple does pay a dividend, so yeah. this question is typically not uh, what you see out of growth companies paying dividends, but uh, it, it is certainly a question that, that a lot of people are asking. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting, uh, especially over you know the next few years, to see if there is that reclassification of you know some of those bigger blue chip tech companies, and you know if they have to kind of pass the torch over to some of these smaller, more emerging growth names. Yeah, it's fascinating where, where all that runs. Tell us a little bit about where you're seeing the consumer in Canada and then the consumer in the US. I mean, some of the interest rates and the inflation story might tell us, but but what else? Yeah, certainly the Canadian consumer, a lot more sensitive to interest rates relative to our US counterparts. Couple things at play there. Number one, the mortgage market plays a big role in that. As we know in the US, 30-year mortgages, a lot less variable rate mortgages in the US relative to what Canadians have. Obviously, in Canada, we've got, you know, typically five-year fixed is the typical term we see here in Canada. So we've got a lot of folks that are rolling off their existing rates and having to refi at higher rates. Again, overlap that with the just the higher consumer debt levels in Canada as well. So again, we're a lot more sensitive to these interest rate changes. Obviously, with that comes a hit to consumption. You know, if folks are spending more money on interest expense. They've got a lot, you know, a lot less money to spend on, you know, what have you, goods and services. And when we think about the mortgage market as well, and we take a look at Canada specifically, take a look at debt servicing coverage ratio. So basically, what, what percentage of your income is going towards servicing 
your mortgage. It's at fairly elevated levels. Amortization periods is, are also at r relatively high levels there. So again, Canadians are feeling the pinch from these higher levels. And I, and I think as, as we've seen in the last quarter's GDP, where household spending was down and did contribute to that negative print, it is affecting Canadians and it is affecting the Canadian economy. The other pieces, and this is this is actually what you and I were discussing just a couple of minutes before we came on air. So there's sort of the two pieces. So there's there's all of that, but then within the housing market, there are reasons to think that the strength really, you know, is going nowhere but up. Yeah. So there's a few things working at play. So obviously the interest rate story yeah. is 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 at play here, and that's obviously negative for the for the overall housing market. But you also have the supply and demand aspect. So. Um, you know, you know, generally speaking, there's there's still a ton of demand for housing. You know, if you think about Toronto as a market, you know, we have massive population growth year over year. Our our housing stock is not keeping up with that. So, you know, if we do get a pullback, and I think we are seeing a little bit of pullback in prices uh, in real estate prices. You know, the million dollar question is: Is it going to be five, ten percent, ten percent, twenty percent? Are we going to see a nineteen ninety one forty percent? Personally, I don't think we can get to that. You know, 40% drawdown in the housing market in Canada. I just think there's just too much demand out there and not enough supply. Yeah, it kind of comes down to that. So take us through how some of this might have you positioned going into, I mean, you know, we're not that many months from the end of the year, final quarter. Money has been made in certain areas of the market and some people are comfortable in a fixed income situation. How, how would you position at this point? Yeah, generally for me, I, I remain cautious. Um, again, I, I, you know, I don't know if we're going to go into a recession. I don't know if it's going to be soft. I don't know if it's going to be hard. I don't know if we're going to avoid it. Um, but I think there there are a few little red flags here that that at least give us um, should give us some pause to evaluate. Um, so again, staying somewhat defensive, uh, stay diversified. I mean, when you don't know where the market's going to go and there's going to be volatility, shopping, trading, diversification is a friend. So remain diversified, whether that's Within your fixed income sleeve, or whether that's within your equity sleeve, um, obviously there's going to be some investors out there who are saying, who think, you know, we're going to get a recession. So obviously the folks who are taking that, if you, you know, take a look at defensive sectors. Obviously, take a look at your fixed income. Take a look at duration if if you do think that's coming down. Um, personally, at the very least, um, stay cautious. Continue to take a look at the incoming data. Um, you know, if you take a look at credit markets, which typically move kind of a little bit earlier and kind of behind mm. the scenes. Yeah, tell us the credit story because there's a few different views on where it's going. Yeah, so right now we're not seeing any cracks in the credit market. If you take a look at credit spreads, they haven't widened this year. In fact, the two best performing sectors of the fixed income market have been high yields and leveraged loans, which are kind of further along the risk curve when you take a look at the fixed income market. And they're fine. And they're they're fine so far. Yeah. We haven't seen credit spreads blow out. They, they haven't moved a ton this year, to be perfectly honest. When you take a look at the high yield market, generally speaking, so one thing we like to look at is, you know, when are maturities, when are companies going to have to refinance these bonds and roll these bonds over? The good news there is there are not a ton of maturities this year, not a ton of maturities next year. The big maturity wall kind of hits in 2025. So from a default perspective, I'd say the risk is a little bit lower. We have seen distressed debt levels increase marginally. We have seen default rates tick up marginally as well. Again, still kind of well within historical averages, so nothing too concerning there. But it's certainly something to keep an eye out. Again, as I said, you know, you, you do see kind of cracks in the credit market ahead of time before you kind of see equity markets move. So it's something I'm going to be, keep a close eye on on a go-forward basis. You mentioned oil and just how the higher prices in the last few months, it contributes to the overall inflation story, whether it's core or not. So how will oil and the price of it impact the Canadian dollar? To what extent does it still? Yeah, so it certainly does affect it to a degree. I would say I, I, 
I haven't run the, the numbers. The last time I ran it, the, the correlation between oil and, uh, and uh, the Canadian dollar hasn't been as strong recently as it has to think, go back to 2014, 2015, sure. when it was very, 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 very highly correlated. I think the correlation too is specifically pretty strong between kind of the, the 70 and $100 level. Um, so it certainly does help the Canadian dollar, but I don't think it's helping it quite as much as it historically has. Okay, so it's not necessarily something to watch for for sort of strength coming into the CAD. It's much more maybe the differential story. I mean, can you can you kind of quantify that for us? I, Which I, I I think the interest rate differential is probably going to drive the exchange rate a little bit more than than oil will at um, at, at current levels. But uh, oil is certainly interesting. Um, you know, obviously a big a big demand factor for oil is China, and they're they're. they're they're experiencing a little bit of a slowdown. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of where the price of oil goes over the next six months or so. How's Canada look, do you think, to investors around the world? Um, I, you know, I think from, you know, our interest rates are higher than they have, you know, yep. were over the last few years. So certainly that's kind of, uh, that is positive for Canadian assets, um, you know, especially when you're talking about Canadian fixed income. You know, we are viewed as this you know, obviously a safe AAA rated uh, jurisdiction. So again, that's positive there. I mean, again, the, the the one part that hurts a little bit is probably, again, that interest rate differential between the US and Canada. You know, if you took a look at 10-year Canadian bonds versus 10-year US, you do get that yield puck pick up in the US. Um, so I wonder if that's gonna draw a little bit of foreign investment away from Canada from a from a securities perspective anyway. Take, take us through sort of what you think we need to watch for what Tiff Macklin is watching. If you were to get into his mind a little bit, it, it does kind of seem like we're at a point where we have to see these, I mean, the legs is the overused word, certainly for, for the last couple of months, but where it kicks in from here, I mean, you're, you were a bond guy. Tell us how long it takes for this to be felt. If you think back and you, and you run the numbers, you know, the interest rates anywhere between, you know, six, Six months to two years can take to, to fully filter its way within the market. You know, one example that we, we briefly talked about is mortgages. Yes. So it, it's not immediately felt, but I mean, it is by folks who have floating rates. But again, those folks who are rolling over, you know, that does take time for those to come due and to roll over. So it is going to take a little bit of time to get kind of full, fully baked into the pie, so to speak, in terms of all the rate hikes we've currently seen. But again, I think what Tiff Macklin has taken a close eye on is likely taking a look at you know any you know delinquency numbers whether that's on the consumer or whether that's on the corporate level as well the last thing like sort of the credit card consumer story or the, yeah yeah because ultimately you know historically speaking mortgage is usually the last thing a consumer right. defaults on so you know if you start seeing credit cards go and then you start seeing unsecured lines go that that can certainly signal a greater issue down the line because I think the last thing that Tiff Macklin wants is you know the, the housing market to crash to those, you know, kind of 1991 type levels. Okay, so that's, that's sort of where we watch it. It's, it is really interesting kind of seeing how, how the consumer, I mean, prices in a lot of places that, that I was just whether went to the movies on the weekend, a couple of things, like they are still really high. Tell us about the pricing power of Canadians. It feels like at some point we're gonna get sick of this, no? I mean, it, how are you going to construct sort of your budget at levels like this? It's still pretty high. Yeah, so generally speaking, Canadians on an average aggregate level are poor relative to, you know, inflation's gone up X, wages have not kept up fully with inflation. So, 
generally speaking, we just have less money to spend on, exactly. the, on the same level of goods and services that we were accustomed to prior to the pandemic. So that's obviously not positive for the overall consumption story here in Canada. But the other thing to consider as well is, you know, let's say, you know, wages do shoot up and we, you know, but typically higher wages leads back to higher prices and it is this slight vicious cycle here. So unfortunately, um, you know, coupled with, so, so one thing with our CPI is, you know, the interest expense is, does, does factor into our overall CPI yes. as well. So as the bank keeps raising rate, it's also Going contributing to the CPI number. Is, so you, you do have a bit of a positive feedback loop there as well. Do you worry about stagflation? Uh, I do a little bit. Um, again, I think we are heading back towards that target. I think we're going to get there. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, it's, it's, it's on my radar, but it's certainly not in my base case is what I would say. Question, what leading sector is on your radar into next year? So what leading sector for me? Um, generally speaking, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm typically biased towards tech, but I don't think that's a good kind of indicator of the overall uh, kind of uh, economy necessarily. Obviously, a lot of growth names in there. Um, I would say I'm probably not focused on any specific uh, industry or sector. Um, but what I'm really, again, focused on is, again, I'm biased because I'm a fixed income guy yeah. by trade, but I am very, very focused on credit. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really matter what area of the credit market, but just, just broadly looking at the credit market yeah. and always keeping a close eye there. Um, you know, to talk about uh, the Canadian banks a little bit, this is somewhat tangentially related, but I, I, I want, it's a good data point that I think folks need to focus on is uh, the provision for credit losses. Yeah. On, on and all the, those earnings. Yeah, yeah so they have been increased quite a bit. I think I saw a stat that they're double what they were from, from a year ago, Q2 of last year. And, and just to give folks some context, provisions for credit losses doesn't mean there are losses. Right. It means they're just putting aside money for the potential of losses down the line. So obviously the banks are potentially gearing up and putting money aside for potential credit events on a go forward basis. So again, I, I think that lends back to this idea that, you know, it's possible a storm is coming, it's not guaranteed, mm -hmm. um, but just something for folks to keep an eye out. Lots of discussion within the job market. We started off an introduction from what Janet Yellen said yesterday and, and that's sort of a, a political, politically focused message. I mean. She had skin in the game when she was head of the Fed, so it's, so it's, it's kind of her ballywick. That's that's where where she rolls. But what do you think about the job market? So we did start to see, you know, job openings tick lower, and they certainly have. We started to see temporary workers tick lower, and those are usually kind of the two shoes that first dropped. You know, if you think about it conceptually about a corporation, you know, if you think there's, you know, you need to do some cost cutting or some cost containment because you think a potential recession's coming or a slowdown's coming, the first thing you do is to say, you know, hiring freeze. Next thing you do is you say, we're not renewing any temporary workers. The third thing is you start to lay folks off. So we did start to see an uptick in initial jobless claims, but the last few prints have actually you know, leveled out, a bit. Leveled out yeah. a bit, a little bit lower. So it's hard to say if it was just a temporary blip or if, or if there's more of a trend. You know, if you take a look at where unemployment levels are, they're still fairly low. So there's no, no concerns there. But I think, especially in Canada, given our sensitivity again to and how high our debt levels are, the employment story is going to be very, very important in Canada. You know, if we start to do see an uptick in unemployment, then, you know, depending on the magnitude of that, you know, I think that's really going to be the determining factor on that soft versus hard landing scenario for us. So within the ETFs, here's a question. Thoughts on Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin's in a very interesting topic. It's a, a controversial topic, but uh, 
Um, you know, Bitcoin's an interesting asset class. I think it's still, you know, I know it's been around since about 2012, but I still think it's fairly early on for Bitcoin. You know, it's, it's really hard to tell what kind of, you know, function it will serve in the overall economy and the digitized economy of the future. Um, I think, you know, kind of Bitcoin generally and broadly speaking is kind of a bet on, the, on a digitized future. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of, again, super volatile asset class. So in terms of how much allocation it should be in your portfolio, it should be, a, you know, in my opinion, a lower percentage of your portfolio. Because, again, super risky. You know, we've seen it act as a risk asset and rally with risk yeah. assets. But we've also seen it as, you know, a quasi safe haven when we had, you know, kind of that banking dust up with those fury of, of bankruptcies, we, we actually saw Bitcoin rally. So um, it is an interesting asset class. I think what folks need to understand, again, it's super volatile, super risky. So, you know, certainly do your do your homework. But again, I think it's it's a question of, you know, what role is it going to play in a digitized future world? Yeah. And as you say, the, the alternative is sort of there. But but then to what extent that actually takes over? It's a really interesting question. It's something we don't we talk about AI a lot more than we talk about digital assets at the moment. Any comments on AI? Yeah. So AI is <laughs> How certainly is that going to change our lives. So we certainly have some growth managers who are very excited about it. I think the, the thing with AI, too, is it's it's relatively early as well. You know, it's kind of almost like this buzzword right now. It's we don't exactly know what it's going to mean for the overall economy, and I think, you know, we're, we're figuring that out. I think there's certainly going to be a lot of growth opportunities in AI. I think it is. I think it is going to be something that you're going to see a lot of companies in. You, you see, you know, you see Meta or Google, and they're all working on something. So I think it is going to be a great growth opportunity. I think it is going to, you know, change the way we operate from a business perspective. You know, the question is, too, is the time frame, you know, is it going to be five years, 10 years? Probably going to take a little longer than we think. But again, I think there's going to be a tremendous growth opportunity, at least from, from tech names. So just kind of sum up for us a little bit, investors being somewhat cautious walking into the back half of this year, or the last few months of the year. What does that look like in terms of ETFs, in terms of things that people might want to just make sure they have some exposure to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's important to take a look at your overall kind of equity leaves, equity sleeves, fixed income sleeves. See where your risks are. See, you know, am I am I am I tilted to growth names? Am I t- tilted to cyclical names? Am I t- tilted to defensive names? So it's certainly something you want to take a look at. You know, if you're thinking about defensive factors, obviously quality is 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 one of those defensive factors that we typically recommend late late in the cycle. It is a little bit expensive right now, but again, you know, if we do get a recessionary environment, then you know, uh, quality is kind of where you want to be. Um, when you're thinking about fixed income, again, a lot of people still flocking to that front end of the yield yeah. curve. I think sometime in the back half of the There's year. The duration. Yeah. I think I think sometime in the back half of the year, it's going to be really important to take a look at duration because eventually that duration trade, if we do get into a soft hard landing scenario, that duration trade is going to work out. Um, so I think folks need to take a look at that, especially in the back half of the year. Because again, you know, we, I know I know I've been talking about duration. I think. Probably for the last year. Yeah, but I mean, we want, I, that said, it's. I, I was wondering if some of the things that we were all ready for at the beginning of this year is actually sort of maybe teed up now. What would you say? Because we, we felt very differently at the very, very beginning of this year. Yes, certainly. I mean, I, I, I know I was probably talking about the duration trade at the start of the year, and I'm still talking about the duration yeah, trade. But, but it, it is, you know, if we do get in that recession, that duration will be your friend. So again, I mean, the good news there is, you know, if you're taking a look at, you know, fixed income going further out on the yield curve, you are at least getting a decent yield on that as well. But again, I think that's why it's really important for people to keep taking a look at the incoming data, keep assessing for those cracks. If we do think we're going in that direction, then again, the duration is going to be your friend. 
And the thing about the short end of the curve, you do have that reinvestment risk as well. So, you know, you buy a one-year paper, in a year it's going to come off. If we do get in a recession and rates have come lower, then you're going to be reinvesting at lower interest rates. So that is one of the benefits of kind of those longer duration securities as well. Moving into it. Andre Bruno, it's great to see you in person. And thank you for sharing your time here. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, family. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.